I'm a local loan officer in West Palm Beach, Florida. I've been in the mortgage industry for the last eight years. I've worked in the industry throughout the country. I've closed over a thousand loans during my career, so I've seen it all. I'm on a mission to make mortgages both entertaining and educational. Welcome to Lending with Leah. This is the podcast for anyone thinking of potentially owning, in the process of buying, or even owns their own home. No magic today. <laughs> sparkle, sparkle, sparkle. We're making our own magic for today. <laughs> so welcome to the show, everyone. I'm so glad you're here. This morning, normally when I'm in here, I have just my cup of water, but it is bright and early and I didn't sleep well last night. So we have coffee and water. Yay. <laughs> so let's just jump right on in. Today's episode is going to be all about how to get prepared for a mortgage. Because let's face it, if you're looking to buy a home, unless you've got a nice little mountain of cash sitting around, you're going to need a mortgage. And there's a lot that goes into getting a mortgage. I remember when I first started in the business, I got in to work for my first day and I'm sitting down and I'm learning things and someone's like, oh yeah, FHA, VA, conventional. And she's just rattling off these terms. And I'm like, um, excuse me, what's, what's FHA? What's VA? What's can I, I'm really confused. Like, because at no point ever in my schooling from my parents, from anyone else around me, did anyone explain that there's different types of mortgage loans? I just thought it was a mortgage. Like you just get money for a house and that's that. But there's so much more that goes into it. So like FHA and VA loans, those are gonna be government loans. And conventional loans, while also controlled by the government, so there's two entities that control conventional loans, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. So all of these different types of loans all have different types of rules and they all allow you to do different types of things. I've done lots of episodes where we really break down and deep dive into all these specific types of loans. So if you want to learn more about them, I did episodes on VA, FHA and conventional loans. Go back and take a listen to those but there's a lot. And so how do you get prepared for that? And how do you know what's best and what's good for your situation or not? So today, I'm gonna break it all down for you guys into three separate categories. When you get a mortgage, your qualification for it is really kind of comprised of three main pieces with some little like sidebars but your three main pieces are going to be credit income and assets so let's break those down right credit let's talk on credit most loans are going to have a minimum credit score requirement conventional loans this is 620 FHA is 580 
80 for three and a half percent down or 500 if you're doing 10 percent down or more va technically does not have a minimum credit score requirement that being said most lenders that you talk to are going to have a 580 minimum requirement or a 580 overlay what's an overlay an overlay is additional rules a lender will put on top of the agency guidelines. So just because FHA will let you go down to 500, putting 10% down, doesn't mean the lender you're working with will do that. Sometimes they have an overlay and that particular lender won't go below 580. So for this show's sake, we are going to say you probably want to have at least a 580 credit score to get a mortgage. That's going to open up the majority of possibilities for you guys. So 580, right? FHA, VA, 620 conventional. But I am going to really specify this but on conventional loans just because you can go down to 620 does not mean you're gonna get an approval at 620. What does that mean? Okay, back it up a little bit. Every mortgage loan, especially if you're doing conventional FHA VA, is going to be run through something called an automated underwriting system. There's two, DU, which is Desktop Underwriter, or LP, which is Loan Prospector. Now, these are the same across the board for all lenders, and every lender has to use them, and every loan gets run through them. What do they do? It is basically just a really fancy risk algorithm. It's gonna pull all the information on your application, all the information from your credit report and it's going to run it through and analyze it and it's going to give out an approval or a denial so when i'm talking on conventional loans and how yes technically 620 is the minimum but that doesn't mean you're going to get an approval at 620 it's because of this that underwriting system as it's pulling data from your loan as it's pulling the data from your credit report it might not like it and it might not approve it. In fact, personally, I tend to see not a lot of approvals on conventional loans below a 700 credit score and especially below like a 680 credit score, unless you're putting a big chunk of money down. That's not to say it can't happen. I am just forewarning you if you are preparing to get a mortgage and you want or need a conventional loan, I would recommend setting a credit score bar of 700 or more. You will also thank me because, let's talk credit a little bit more, right? The higher your score, typically, the lower your interest rate. Now, there are many different factors that go into determining your interest rate. It's about 25 different factors. 
So it's always a little bit of a loaded question when someone calls and they're like, what are the interest rates today? And I'm like, well, what's your credit score? What type of loan are you looking for? How much are you putting down? Is it a single family home or a condo? There's a lot that goes into it, but on a typical rule of thumb, the better your credit score, the lower your interest rate, meaning you pay less money over time. You're going to pay less money in interest. So if you want to pay less money in interest, we want to get you prepared and set up to meet those credit requirements. So like I said, conventional, I would personally set your goal credit score to be 700 or higher. FHA and VA, I would set it at 580, but every 20 points you go up, so right if you hit 600 and then 620, 640, you tend to open up your range of possibilities and you just tend to have more options. Okay, so we talked that piece a little bit. Now, what about if you don't have credit? As this is something I actually see quite a bit is maybe someone didn't learn about credit or maybe they don't like credit. I get it. Credit's kind of a like an evil thing, in my opinion. Personally, I don't like the way credit works, how it's configured, but I don't make the rules. I just got to follow them. And the world tells me I have to use your credit score. So that's just what we have to do. But if you don't have credit established yet, and you know you're going to need a mortgage, meaning you can't purchase the home cash, or maybe you can purchase it cash, but you don't want to use all your cash, you're going to have to have credit and some sort of credit history. Now, how much credit history do you need? Well, the more credit history you have and the better it is, the stronger it is, the better that's going to look for your mortgage application. But at the end of the day, really, as long as we can pull three scores, and what I mean by that is Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion, each has enough history to generate a credit score, we can pretty much use that in most cases. How long does that take? It's going to take you about six months. So six months of having credit and making on-time payments. That's when you should see a score become generated for a mortgage. Now, that is different than what like Credit Karma might show you or other credit monitoring services because credit monitoring services do not use the same scoring model as mortgage companies. So if you want to know what your true credit score is for a mortgage, you're going to want to have a mortgage company pull your credit. And also on the mortgage side, it takes about six months of making on-time payments to generate enough history to give a credit score. Whereas credit monitoring services, you might see a score appear maybe in as little as two to three months, maybe even a month. But that doesn't mean we're going to see one on the mortgage side. So I always say that if you're preparing to get a mortgage, you probably want to have credit established for about six months. 
Great. Now, another piece to credit, because I hear this quite a bit, where people will say, oh, I need to pay off all my collection accounts or my charge-offs. Like, I have the negative items, and I have to take care of them. Not necessarily. Collections. I have, by the way, little plug, I have a whole episode specifically on credit and how to fix your credit. So if you want all the details on that, go listen to that episode, but I will refresh you guys on collection accounts real fast because I think that's important for today's episode. Collection accounts, now if you just pay a collection, there is no difference in your score between a paid and an unpaid collection. And as soon as you pay it, you lose all your bargaining power to have it deleted. So if you have collection accounts and you want to start to get them settled, you're like, hey, I want to get a mortgage soon. Let me look into some of these things. Look into doing pay for deletions. This is where you call the collection agency and you say, hello, Mr. Collection Agency. I'm willing to pay this, but if and only if you agree to permanently delete it from my records after I pay it. And the collection agency might say, yeah, totally, that's fine, we'll do that. Great, thank you. Sometimes the collection agency will say, oh no, 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 we can't do that, but you know what we can do? We can update it to reflect as paid in full. I don't recommend doing it. Updating it to paid in full, it's still gonna be on your credit. It's not gonna do anything to help your score. And now you're just, you just spent all that money for something that's not gonna help your score. So collection accounts, remember, pay for deletion. If you're gonna go that route, wow. I felt like that was like a Southern accent word that came out there for a second. That route, do pay for deletions. But really at the end of the day, the best thing to do if you're working on your credit piece to prepare for a mortgage, talk to your loan officer. Before you just go start paying and doing and trying to figure it out, talk to your loan officer It's not a bad idea to have them pull your credit ahead of time, tell you exactly what your score is, take a look at exactly what's coming up on your credit, and they can give you a game plan on specific things to work on. That's my biggest recommendation, rather than trying to figure it out yourself. But some of you are a little overzealous, and if you want to try to figure it out on yourself, follow these tips. All right, part two, income. I'm going to break this piece out into two subcategories for you guys. So preparing income if you are a W-2 employee versus if you're preparing income and you're self-employed or a business owner. Because both are going to follow very different rules. So let's do W-2 first. Now, in general, you're going to want a two-year employment history. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be at the same job for two years, but a two-year employment history. 
Now, for all my young whippersnappers out there who are fresh out of high school, fresh out of college, and you guys want to buy a home and you're like, well, I don't have two years because I was in school. Totally fine because school actually counts as part of your two-year employment history. We would just get a copy of your school transcripts to show and confirm the dates, but that counts as part of your history. Mm, so you don't have to be out of school and in a job for two full years before you're prepared or able to get a mortgage. But let's break it down a little bit further, right? Because depending on the type of W-2 income you're earning and how many hours you're working is going to change things up a little bit. Easiest route to deal with, right? If you're W-2 and you are full-time, and I will clarify this, full-time in the real world is what? I think 35 hours or more per week. Full-time in mortgage world is 40 or more hours per week. Not 38, not 39 and a half, not 35, 40. So if you're getting prepared for a mortgage, just remember that full-time is 40 hours or more per week. As soon as you drop below that, or your hours start to vary, or you're part-time, the rules change. So if you are full-time, 40 hours per week, and let's say your salary, easy. We can start using that right away, immediately. We get full credit for the salary. It's awesome. You're ready to go. If you're hourly, now as long as you're working 40 or more hours per week, and I know I keep stressing that, but again, 40, not 39 and a half, 40 or more hours per week, and you're paid hourly, you get to use that hourly rate of pay times 40, 40 hours per week. And you can start using that right away. Okay. But Leah, I'm technically full-time in the real world, but you're saying I'm not full-time in mortgage world. So I work like between 35 and 39 hours per week. What does that mean for me when I'm preparing for a mortgage? That means you are considered variable pay. And variable pay is calculated differently. In some cases, you're going to need a full two-year history of variable pay. And you're going to have your income averaged over the two years. Some lenders will take variable pay if you've been there for a year. I've seen that. So if your pay varies, I would say in this case, you probably want a minimum of at least one year on that job, if not two years, to increase your options as far as lenders and different options and things like that that are available to you. But in most cases, you're probably okay with a year, but two will definitely open up more. Also, when you are variable pay, or not, let me go back, not variable pay, but these other more unique or additional types of incomes that aren't base pay, 
So that's going to be overtime, commission, bonuses, all those like additional types of pay and categories, one to two years. So if you know you want to use commission income for a mortgage, so you qualify for more, again, just kind of like when you're variable pay, two years is definitely going to get you the best options and the most options. But in some cases, the lender or the type of loan you're going with will allow for one to two years. Also, let's talk income. Um, I was going to say income categories, but that's not right. Income trend. That's the word I was looking for. See, guys, it's it's the morning. This is why we have coffee, because I'm losing my losing my words. Income trend. You want your income to be staying either relatively stable year over year and into year to date or increasing. Because if your trending income is decreasing, so let's say 2021 into 2022, your income declined. And then maybe 2022 to 2023 year to date, it declined again. That's bad. So in a lot of those cases, depending on the how bad the decline is, or if it's declining year over year, you might not be able to use the income at all for qualifying. At all. And if you can use it, you don't get to take an average and include the higher years of income. You have to use an average of just the lower year. So as we're preparing, keep that in mind. Definitely my commission bonus overtime people, you want to make sure that those income categories are staying relatively stable or increasing. I had a repeat client of mine. We've done two loans together now, and he wanted to do a third one this year. So he reached out and historically over the past few years, he's worked a ton of overtime, a ton of overtime. And this time I get his updated pay stubs for this year and I'm going through and his overtime is like pennies compared to where it used to be for the last two years. And I called him and I'm like, I can't pre-approve you now for this loan because your income, your overtime income has declined so much. I can't give you credit for it at all. And your base income's not enough to qualify for this property. So now he's having to pick up more overtime and it's going to take another few months, six to eight months to build up enough overtime to where his income trend is stable. So keep that in mind when you're purchasing a home and getting ready for a mortgage is that an underwriter is really going to also look and pay very close attention to your trending income over the last two years. W2, let's go to this hand, self-employed, business owners, the American dream until it comes to getting a mortgage and then it feels like a freaking nightmare. The government did not design mortgages to be your friend 
when you're self-employed and a business owner. In my opinion, the government said, hey, we know you write things off because you're self-employed and it's well within your right to, but we don't like that. So we're going to stick it to you when it comes to a mortgage. What do I mean by that? So when you're W-2, you get to use your gross income for qualifying. And your gross income for qualifying is going to be your income before deductions. So your total income before taxes are taken out, social security, all those things, you get to use the higher amount. When you're self-employed, you don't get to use your gross income. You get to use your net income after all your write-offs. That sucks. That really sucks. Okay. So let's break out self-employed a little bit more. Now that I've mentioned that, that like bomb drop, got to use your net income. There are a couple categories you can add back as income that are also write-offs. So let's talk just a Schedule C. And a Schedule C is when you put your self-employed income and it's on your personal returns. So you just have personal personal tax returns, not personal and business. Everything just flows and is on your personal. So if you have a Schedule C, if you have write-offs in your business use of home, in your depletion, depreciation, or business miles traveled times whatever the going rate is per mile, those categories you can add back to your net income. So what do I mean by this is when it comes time to file and prepare your taxes, if you're self-employed, you want to get a mortgage. It's two years. So unlike W-2, right, where you maybe don't have to be on the same job for two years, self-employed, you do. Two years. That means you have to have two years of tax returns. Talk to your loan officer. And they can work with your CPA or your tax accountant to really come up with the best middle ground for you. Middle ground meaning... What can we write off that we can add back as qualifying income? Because you're self-employed. Part of that benefit is getting write-offs. You know, and trust me, I want you to get write-offs too, but I also want you to be able to get a mortgage and qualify for the home you want. So let's all work together and get this prepared in such a way that it's beneficial for everyone Also, good to keep in mind, especially when you're self-employed, if you owe taxes, those taxes either have to be paid off in full prior to or at closing, or you have to be set up on an income-based repayment, or not necessarily income-based, but on a IRS repayment plan, and that monthly payment is going to be included in your debt-to-income Ratio. Oh, what is this debt-to-income ratio word you use? I'm glad you asked. When you are getting a mortgage, a lot of people think 
that you have to just simply make three times the mortgage payment. It makes sense because that's kind of the rule with renting, right? Usually you have to make three times the rent. No. Mortgages focus on the three pieces we're going over today, credit, income, assets. And we're going to specifically talk debt to income ratio for a second. Debt to income ratio is going to be your new mortgage payment plus the minimum monthly payment on all the debt that pulled through on your credit report. So those really nice, pretty cars that you have with the really big auto loans, it really hurts how much you can qualify for. Drop that in there. Divided by your qualifying income. Look how I use the word qualifying income and not necessarily your actual income because when it comes to income, just because you make a certain amount does not mean the rules will let you use that full amount. This is why it's important to talk to a loan officer and get pre-approved. All right. Now, as a general, usually you cannot go above 50% on your debt to income ratio. So let's break down what that means. Let's do simple math sake here. Let's say someone makes 10,000 a month and that 10,000 a month, their salary, right? So we can, that's their qualifying income. That's their gross income, 10,000 a month. Great. So we can use that. Now, 50% is our debt to income ratio maximum. So we're going to take 10,000 and we're going to cut it right in half. Now we're at 5,000. Well, let's say this person also has a car loan, some credit cards, maybe some student loans, and all those total $1,000 for minimum monthly payments. So now we're gonna take our 5,000, subtract out 1,000 for the debts they have, and now we're left with $4,000 remaining that can go to a mortgage payment. That doesn't mean I am saying go that high. <laughs> I tell people this all the time, like when I pre-approve them and they're like, whoa, that's a big payment. And I'm like, I know, and you don't have to spend it all. I'm just showing you how much you can qualify for. That doesn't mean I'm condoning that you should push your budget that high or that it, it's the route you should go. By no means do you have to spend your maximum. This is just qualification sake for a mortgage. So you'd have $4,000 left over for a mortgage payment. Awesome. And that's how debt to income ratio is figured. Let's go to our third section and final section of the day. Assets. What are assets? Assets are going to be a broad category. Think of an umbrella. And underneath this umbrella, you're going to have all different types of things. Checking accounts, savings, retirement accounts like 401ks and IRAs, investment accounts, maybe you have a stock account. All of those are going to be assets. And depending on the type of loan you go with, it's going to depend on what your down payment, your closing costs are, 
that's important to touch on. So when you're preparing for a mortgage, know that you don't just have your down payment. You have a down payment and you have closing costs. Now your closing costs are gonna vary depending on the price of the home, the area you're purchasing, the lender, the title company you pick, all of the above. So quick example, I'm licensed in Florida, Arizona, and now Georgia, yay. <laughs> but when I do loans in Arizona, well, the closing costs are astronomically cheaper compared to Florida. Even if it's the same price home, the same type of loan, the same down payment, my person in Arizona is going to pay a lot less in closing costs than Florida. Why? Well, in Florida, we have things like transfer taxes and dock stamp taxes that Arizona doesn't have. That's a nice hefty little fee. Also, we have the most expensive homeowner's insurance in the entire country. So think about it. If here in Palm Beach County, your homeowner's insurance, let's say it's 5,000 annually, which is very on par with where the market is, and it's, I don't know, 1,000 in Arizona for the same insurance policy, that's a $4,000 difference in your closing costs. So things like this are going to, you know, change that up. But just know you have down payment and closing costs. So if you're buying in Florida, I would prepare closing costs to be anywhere probably between ten to 15000 So you want to add that to the percentage of your down payment that you're putting down. And that is, should be your kind of like, okay, that's the dollar figure I want to hit. And a lot of people think I have to have that just in savings accounts. You don't. When you're preparing for a mortgage, checking, savings, retirement accounts. Sometimes you can do hardship withdrawals from like a 401k or do a 401k loan. Oh, but you didn't know that. You could actually borrow against yourself and then pay yourself back and use that money for your funds to close for a mortgage. Not a bad idea. You can use money from a stock account. You can get gift funds from family members, unless you're doing an FHA loan. FHA loan will allow gifts from close personal friends. All the other types of loans, family members only. So gift funds, you could sell something I've had clients sell cars. I've had clients sell horses. And I even had one client sell a gun collection. And we were able to use all these as assets and funds for their mortgage. Pretty darn cool. Now, some things as you're preparing for a mortgage when it comes to assets, because I do see a lot of people get confused here where they'll say, oh, I own two properties already, or, oh, I own my car. Well, let's take the car, but that one doesn't matter. Let's properties, right? I own two other properties. Even if they're owned free and clear, they're actually not considered assets for a mortgage. It's considered 
debt. So even if you don't have a mortgage on another home, you still pay property taxes on it, homeowners insurance, and maybe HOA dues. All of those things are actually considered debts against you. You can't use the equity in your home as an asset for a new mortgage unless you're liquidating it. So that's another good point. Let's say you own a property, you want to buy a new one, and you're going to keep your current one. You could do a home equity line of credit. You could do a cash out refinance on that property, pull some equity out of it. And now it's that that equity you pulled out. Now that's an asset that can be used for a new mortgage. So that's kind of how you really want to be preparing. If you're purchasing a primary home, something you're going to live in, usually your minimum down is going to be between 3 to 5% down. So think of that as you're preparing, right? If you want to buy a home here in Florida, let's say we're going to do FHA, it's 3.5% down. So you're going to take whatever your purchase price is, say you want a home that's 300000 what's 3.5% of that? I don't know. It's too early in the morning for me to do math, so I'm not going to tell you. But just for your own sake, get out a calculator. 300000 times 3.5%. That's your down payment. And then add about ten to 15000 of closing costs. Bam! And that's kind of the magic number to be preparing and shooting for. I hope today's episode really gave you guys a lot of insight on preparing for a mortgage. Now there's, we just covered like a very, the the big general overview. Every person's situation is unique, is different. And so you might have something with your situation. You're like, well, you didn't cover that today. Totally fine. Give me a call. Shoot me an email. We've got an email now lendingwithleah at gmail.com. You can find me on all the social media, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, all of it. Feel free to add me, follow me, subscribe, shoot me a DM. If you have questions, I would be happy to help you guys prepare and just walk through it. Or if you don't want to use me, talk to your other loan officer. There are so many great loan officers out there that are just want to offer a helping hand to you guys, and we get it. Preparing for a mortgage is daunting, so ask us for help. The majority of us, we love helping and we love preparing you guys to get to the best position possible to be able to buy the home you want. So I hope you found this useful. I'd love to hear from you guys. I hope you have a fantastic day. And as always, we will see you again next week for next week's episode. (laughs) 